Thank you for listening to the Abundant Life Sermon Podcast. Abundant Life is based out of Lee Summit, Missouri and has campuses throughout the Kansas City metro area and online. We want to see your life changed by Jesus. For more information about Abundant Life or for locations and service times, visit livingproof.co. Thanks for listening. We're starting a brand new series today, a Christmas series. We're gonna do something we've never done before. We've designed a Christmas series, four Christmas sermons, four Christmas services around four ancient Christmas hymns. We've called the series, Do You Hear What I Hear? Because sometimes we sing these songs, but we don't hear what God wants us to hear. We sing them every year, but we never really hear what they say. And I'm convinced that these ancient hymn writers had such command theologically when they in these songs that sometimes we just kind of go over the surface. And so I hope that you hear today what I hear, because at the end of this service, we're going to sing Joy to the World, and I pray that song will forever take on brand new meaning. Joy to the World, penned in 1719 by this man right here. His name is Isaac Watts. He was a very famous composer and songwriter of the day. You can see he came from an era where men commonly wore wigs. I'm sure we all wish that men still commonly wore wigs. <laughs> well, at least I do, all right? But, but that, that's, that's passed us by, so we just get what we get. But not only was it very common for men to wear wigs in this day, but it was uncommon that churches would sing anything other than the Psalms. The Psalms in your Bible, the largest book in your Bible, are actually songs. And Joy to the World is actually a musical interpretation of Psalm 98. Turn your Bible there, please. Psalm chapter 98. He was kind of on the cutting edge for his day. Though he doesn't look cutting edge here, he actually really was cutting edge. (laughs) Because unlike other composers, he was actually taking words as an interpretation of God's word. And that's what he does here in Psalm chapter 98. Joy to the world is a musical interpretation of the psalm that we're about to read. And so it was released in 1719. Now, it was put to many different tunes over the generations. The tune that we're most familiar with was actually composed by this man right here in 1848. This is Lowell Mason. Now, you probably never heard his name, but at the time, he was very, very famous uh, for his day as a composer and a songwriter. In fact, his most famous song, I know that you know by heart. You didn't know he wrote it, but you know it. You've undoubtedly sang it. A little known trivia, listen, I I actually took piano lessons for three years as a child, fourth, fifth, and sixth grade. My mother so wanted me to be musical, she really, really did, so she forced me every day for 30 minutes a day to practice piano, and I got really good at it for a while. I could do like the entertainment, school talent shows, you remember that? You remember that? Yeah, that was my one song. Yeah, talent show every year, that was my song. But there's another song, I've long ago forgot most of what I learned, but there's one song that I can still command today on the piano. Mary had a little lamb. (laughs) He wrote that song. This is the guy, I'm not making this up, his most famous song, Mary had a little lamb. His second most famous song, Joy to the World. He wrote the tune that we now sing most often, Joy to the World, that we're about to sing at the end of this service. So let's study the inspiration for Joy to the World. It came from Psalm chapter 98. It says this in verse one. If you're ready, say Merry Christmas. All right, here we go, church. It says this. 
Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have gained him the victory. The Lord has made known his salvation. His righteousness he has revealed in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his mercy, his faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth, break forth in song, rejoice and sing praises. Sing to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the sound of a psalm, with trumpets and the sound of a horn, shout joyfully before the Lord, the King. The sea roar and all its fullness, the world and all those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands, let the hills be joyful together before the Lord, for he is coming, church, he is coming. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. Not only is he coming, but he has come. And so the psalm speaks joyfully and praises God for this promise and this prophecy that one day a king will come and reverse the curse of sin upon all of creation, which is why he says he's coming to judge the earth with righteousness. He shall judge the world and the peoples with equity. What is Psalm chapter 98? It's a prophecy. It's a promise that one day the promised one, Messiah, that's what the word means. It means anointed one will come and he's going to reverse the curse over all of creation. Psalm 98 is a song of joy, which is why Isaac Watts penned a song of joy. He called it joy to the world. He said, joy to the world, for the Lord has come, his promised king that will establish an earthly kingdom, redeeming all of creation. I don't know if you realize this or not, but the world is not what God made it to be. Do you realize the world that is is not the world that was? No, God designed the world and all of creation to be a perfect place, free from sin, free from suffering. He puts the first man in a garden, calls him Adam. It is a perfect place. It's a perfect paradise. And it's perfect people and a perfect relationship with a perfect God and others. And everything was supposed to be happily ever after. But it doesn't take very long to look around and realize something has gone wrong. I mean, why if God made the world and God put this creation together and it was a creation of perfection, is the world now so full of death and destruction and cataclysm and ruin and depression and darkness, something went wrong somewhere along the way. See, God told Adam, don't eat of that tree. In the day you eat thereof, you shall surely die. And what happened when Adam ate of that tree, he rebelled against God and rebellion is what brought destruction, chaos, and confusion upon all of God's creation, which is why today the world is at war with itself and the history of humanity from the fall of Adam has been warfare and wickedness and bloodshed and injustice. But God is promising that one day paradise lost is gonna be paradise regained. He is coming again. And Psalm chapter 98 speaks of what happens when, in fact, he comes again. He's going to redeem all of creation from the curse of Adam's sin, from the curse and rebellion of sin for all men and all women, and not just for humanity, but of all of creation. You see, we live in a world of, of chaos and confusion, the world's ecosystems, Listen, global warming and the global, it's not something new. It's been going on for thousands of years. 
the record of the earth, mass extinction and die-offs and warming and cooling. See, what is this? This is all just a, a record of the sin and the curse upon creation. And what amazes me is that this man, Isaac Watts, understood theologically the depth of the implication of what happens when God makes good on this promise. Uh, we don't sing this verse all that often, it feels like, as we sing this song, Joy to the World, but he captures the essence of this theology uh, right here in this verse. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. Do you understand that thorns and thistles and weeds are God's curse upon creation? What happened in Genesis 3 when Adam sinned? He cursed the ground. Adam was to uh, work the earth, all right? He had dominion over the earth, but when he sinned, he passed dominion to Satan, which is why today it says in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, that Satan is the God, little g, of this age. 1 John 5, 19, the entire world lies under the power of the wicked one. Not only did Adam pass dominion to Satan so that currently we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers of darkness of this age, spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. There's a counterfeit king reigning over the world's kingdoms, but not only did he passed dominion to Satan, but God cursed the ground. And you know what he said? Adam, your work was meant to be your rest. Now your work will no longer be rest. I cursed the ground, thorns and thistles. And by the sweat of your brow, now you're going to eat. You see, that's the reality of what happened when Adam sinned. And Isaac Watts recognizes this very thing. Let no more sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow, far as the curse is found. See, when Jesus comes again, he's going to reverse the curse of sin, not just for you and me personally, but upon all of creation. And the remarkable thing is Isaac Watts understood all of this. In fact, Isaiah 65 tells us that when Jesus comes again and the reverse is lifted off of creation, the lion will again lie down with the lamb. Imagine that. And here's what it says. An infant will be able to play with a viper. Like imagine, instead of giving your baby a rattle, you give him a rattlesnake. That's the implication. It's amazing. It's the way God always intended it to be. And that's what's going to happen when he indeed comes again. Now, here's what's absolutely remarkable to me. When I look at the words of joy to the world, what's amazing to me is Isaac Watts caught something 300 years ago that a lot of modern theologians don't understand today. The lyrics of joy to the world actually reflect the nature of both the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. Now, I've said many times, I don't want Sunday morning just to be a pep rally. I want you to learn something. You can't grow spiritually if you're not growing deeper scripturally. And what's amazing to me is the depth of theology understanding Isaac Watts has here. Because in the lyrics, he actually distinguishes between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. It's remarkable because most modern pastors and theologians don't even know the difference. They don't. But they're not the same. In scripture, they're similar, but they're not exactly synonymous. They're similar, but not exactly the same. So let's look at the words we're all familiar with and look at the theology. Do you hear what I hear? Do you hear what God hears? All right, so let's sing this together, okay? You ready for this? Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Wait a minute, whoa, whoa, whoa. We are not all participating, I can tell. <laughs> so my sixth grade music teacher, Miss Gavin, 
she would not let us leave until we all participated. I was too cool for school. I wasn't going to sing, but she wouldn't let us leave. So eventually I gave in. I would sing, okay? So church houses, other campuses, if we're not going to participate, we are not leaving today. Everybody in? Okay, now I got you. Here we go. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. And heaven and nature sing, and heaven and nature sing, and heaven and heaven. I've always wanted to do this. It's a dream come true. I'm living the dream today. And heaven and heaven and nature sing. This is going to be hard for us all, okay? I want you to notice something. You have let earth receive her king, let every heart prepare him room. What you have here is the kingdom of heaven distinguished from the kingdom of God. Check this out, the kingdom of heaven. That is the rule of heaven on the earth. Kingdom of God, that is the rule of God in our hearts. There's a difference. They're similar. They're not quite the same. And I want you to understand what happened when Jesus came the first time. Some commentators have said, well, joy to the world should be saying at the second coming of Christ. And that's true. But everything he will do in his second coming, he would have done in his first coming. You see, the kingdom of heaven is literal and it's physical. Kingdom of God is spiritual. And while today they're not the same, there's coming a day that they will be one in the same. The kingdom of heaven will become one in the same with the kingdoms of this world, and this is the invitation that God was giving to the Jews when the Messiah came. He was offering them a literal physical kingdom on the earth. The kingdom of heaven is the rule of heaven on the earth. It's physical. Now, here's what I want you to know. You see this phrase, kingdom of God, over 70 times in the New Testament, but you only see kingdom of heaven 29 times, and only, I said only, in the Gospels of Matthew. Now, one has to ask why. If you see kingdom of God over 70 times in the New Testament used by Jesus and all the New Testament writers, yet kingdom of heaven is used exclusively and only by Matthew in his gospel, that demands an answer why. And I'll tell you why. Because Matthew wrote his gospel specifically, not to you and me, non-Jews, but specifically to the Jews to prove that Jesus is the Jewish Messiah, that he is the one that God promised would one day come through the seed of Abraham. This is why when you go through the genealogy of Jesus, Luke takes the genealogy of Jesus clear back to Adam. You know why? Because the Jewish Messiah came for redemption of all men and all women, all the nations. But while Luke goes clear back to Adam, Matthew goes only back to Abraham. Because see, for the Jews, all they cared about was the genealogy of the Messiah going back to Abraham, who was the father of the Jews. See, he's writing for a distinct reason. He wants to prove that Jesus is that promised one, the Jewish Messiah that God had promised would one day come. And that is why only in the book of Matthew do you see this phrase, kingdom of heaven. Because when Jesus came, he was offering them a literal physical kingdom that God had promised throughout the Old Testament, including Psalm chapter 98. 
And that's why you have, for example, John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus, the Messiah. He opens up his ministry preaching this message, Matthew 3 and verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent for the kingdom of God. No, it says the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You see, what he was offering was a literal physical kingdom. He's saying, guys, get ready. The promised king is here. There is one coming. I'm not even worthy to unloose his shoe latches. There's a day coming that he's gonna come to me and wanna get baptized of me, but I ought to be the one getting baptized by him. He's the promised one, and when he comes, he's gonna offer us the kingdom, a physical, literal kingdom. And at that moment, he was offering something that wasn't simply spiritual or allegorical, He was offering something literal. Think about this. Had the Jews received Jesus as their Messiah? But what happens? John 1 verse 11, he came into his own. His own received him not. But what would have happened had they received him as their Messiah instead of rejecting and crucifying him as the Messiah? What would have happened? He still would have gone to the cross. He still would have died. He had to die as the innocent man to reverse the curse of sin for all men and all women. He would have gone to the cross. It was already prophesied, Isaiah 53 and verse 5. He would be wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we would be healed. But listen very carefully. While he would have died, he still would have rose again. He never would have ascended back into heaven. Guess what he would have done? He would have immediately established his kingdom on the earth. He would have marched into Rome. He would have deposed the Caesar in Rome. He would have sat on that throne and said, there's a new king in town now. It's me. I'm the promised one, and I'm here to reign now over all of the nations. And check this out. We never would have had the last 2,000 years of church history. We would have immediately gone into a thousand-year millennial kingdom written about in Revelation chapter 20, and we would already be in eternity. But he came into his own, but his own received him not. See, the Jews at the time of Christ's first coming, they were looking for a political revolutionary. They were looking for a political revolution, but they did not want a spiritual revolution. They wanted the Messiah that would multiply the five loaves and two fishes and feed the thousands. They wanted the Messiah that would do the miracles and you know, make the blind to see and cause the lame to walk again. They wanted a Messiah that would kick out Rome and overrule Rome and sit on that throne, but they did not want a Messiah that would rule over their hearts. They couldn't fathom the difference. This is why even the apostle Peter, when Jesus said, I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm gonna die, three days later I'm gonna rise. Remember what Peter, Peter, no, Jesus, you can't do that. Wait, you're the Messiah. They could not fathom it. I'm convinced Judas really thought he was following the Messiah. He never dreamed the Messiah would go to the cross. What he thought is it was gonna be a political revolution and that he would immediately establish a physical kingdom. But because he was rejected, he died. He rose from the dead. Instead of staying to establish this kingdom and reverse the curse of sin over all of creation, he ascended back into heaven. Now, remember what the Jews were asking right up to the moment of Christ's ascension. His Jewish disciples walked walking up the Mount of Olives in Acts chapter one. Here's what they asked him. Jesus, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Acts chapter one. Now I want you to notice what Jesus says. He didn't rebuke them. 
guys, you're asking the wrong question. He, he didn't correct their theology. Sorry, guys, you misunderstood what I was saying. The kingdom was never meant to be physical. It was only meant to be spiritual. It was just allegorical. You no, he didn't do any of that. What he said was, guys, it's not for you to know the times. But my Father in heaven knows the time. In the meantime, you guys go you therefore. Make disciples of all nations. Be a witness of me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. See, God has temporarily delayed this physical kingdom wherein the king comes and will reverse the curse of sin over all of creation. Paradise lost will be paradise regained. In this parenthesis of time, what he's saying is, you're not going to have a literal kingdom until I come again. In the meantime, I want you to advance a spiritual kingdom in the disciples, and I want you to be a witness of me to the nation. The kingdom of God, then, is the rule of God in our hearts. And while the kingdom of heaven is physical, it's the fulfillment of the Lord's prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Currently, the rule of heaven is not on the earth. And that is why the earth is so jacked up. Because there's a counterfeit king ruling over the nations. Temporarily, God's plan has been delayed, but check it out, it has not been denied. What sin has delayed, it has not denied. God's gonna have that kingdom and the fulfillment and the fruition of Psalm 98. And the entire heaven and earth is going to rejoice. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. But in the meantime, what did he say? We don't get the literal physical kingdom, not yet, but the spiritual kingdom is right now. It exists in our hearts. What is the kingdom of God? It's the rule of God in your heart. And this is why Jesus often used this term. For example, Matthew chapter uh, 6 and verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. All what things? All the physical things that we worry about, what we're going to eat, where we're going to live. No, he says this. No, 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 wait a minute. You take care of the spiritual things. I'll take care of the physical things. But seek first the kingdom of God. What does that mean? The rule of God in your heart. The rule of God in your life. And all these things are going to be added unto you. The apostle Paul would write this in Romans 14, 17. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. See, it's not physical. But righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. What happens when Jesus rules in your heart? When you live like he really is king? over your life. It leads to a life of righteousness. What is righteousness? It's not sinlessness. We're all gonna struggle with sin and temptation, but it does lead to a life of righteousness, meaning I want to stand right before God. I want to live right before God. I want to live righteously before him. I am pursuing a life of holiness, not simply happiness. And I'm trying to tell you today, church, that a lot of people in our day wanna pursue a life that is happy apart from a life that is holy. So in the end, as they pursue a life that is happy apart from being holy, they're neither holy nor happy. See, the world's at war with itself, and that's why so many of us are at war with ourselves. What happens, though, when the right king is on the throne of your life, when you get off the throne and quit trying to act like you're the king over your little kingdom or you're the queen over your little queendom, 
and you get off the throne and say, there's another king that belongs on this throne, I will promise you what happens. All of a sudden, it leads to a right standing before God, righteous living before God. And that leads then to a life of peace and joy. I want you to think about the world Isaac Watts wrote this hymn in. Joy to the world. What was going on at the time in 1719? For all that has changed, how much is exactly the same? The world was at war with itself. At this very moment when Isaac Watts penned these words, joy to the world. Do you know his country of Great Britain was going through a civil war? It was called the Jacobite Revolution and thousands of his countrymen had died. Not only was Great Britain at war with itself, at the time he penned these words in 1719, joy to the world. Russia was at war with Sweden. Some things never change. Uh, Spain had invaded France. Some things never change. The world's at war with itself. It was a time of great tension and political division and hardship and heartache. And he pins these words to remember that one day God will make good on this promise. Paradise lost will be paradise regained. Here's what I want you to understand. Some things never change. They're exactly the same. The world is still at war with itself. But check this out. While the world is still at war with itself, you can have peace when you're no longer at war with God. And that's what happens when you put Jesus on the throne of your life, when you begin to seek first the kingdom of God, not your little kingdom that will one day rust and decay and turn to dust. But when you give your life to his kingdom and put him on the throne of your heart and the throne of your home and begin pursuing his righteousness, all these things are gonna be added unto you. Now here's the deal. A lot of us say it with our lips, but we don't live it with our life even those of us in the body of Christ. Dustin, our Blue Springs campus pastor, shared with me a conversation he had a while back because we're talking about this sermon this week, and he said, um, it's kind of like I had a guy come into my office a while back who certainly claims to be a Christian, professes Christ. He said, Dustin, I'm leaving my wife. I'm gonna divorce her, and don't try to talk me out of it. And Dustin was like, well, I don't know why you're here then. You've already made your decision. Now, don't understand, there's biblical reasons for divorce. He didn't have any biblical grounds to leave his family. Here's the deal. As a child of God, you don't get to do whatever you want to. You get to do what Jesus says you can do. And his way is always better than our way. I will promise when we live in rebellion against him, it will always eventually lead to chaos and confusion and ruin if we will simply say, Jesus, you're my king, and I'm not moving unless you say move, and I'm gonna do what you say to do. I will promise you it's a life of righteousness and peace and joy as opposed to warfare. And that's the choice, rest or war. That's always what is at stake. And here's what I want you to understand. Listen, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven until you have first entered the kingdom of God. There is coming a day, heaven will come to earth when the king of heaven returns. Paradise lost is gonna be paradise regained and all of creation will rejoice no longer in a state of confusion and cataclysm. Not only will all of the earth rejoice and all of creation will rejoice, but we will rejoice because it's gonna be that promised plan that has now come to fruition. It says in Revelation 1 and verse 6, Revelation 5 and verse 10, that he has made us to be both 
priests and kings, and we will reign on the earth. We will reign with him in this kingdom that's going to last for a thousand years and then forever. But listen very carefully. You don't get the kingdom of heaven unless first you've entered into the kingdom of God. We had over 60 baptisms today all across our campus. Isn't that exciting? Absolutely love Baptism Sunday. Uh, let me introduce uh, two of them to you. This is Dale and Candace Campbell from Houston, Texas. They are Abundant Life Church House leaders in Houston that flew up here to be baptized today in our Lee Summit camp- uh, campus. We are so thrilled. It's exciting. What is this public proclamation of baptism? Can I tell you what it means? It means I have died to my rights, I have died to my life, and I've been resurrected now to live a life for Jesus Christ. That's what it means. It means I have a new king and he ain't me. That's right, I have a king and I have a Lord and his name is Jesus. I'm gonna follow him now for the rest of my life. That is baptism, a public proclamation, a profession that I'm not gonna follow the king of heaven as a member of the kingdom of God. He now sits on the throne of my heart, a throne of my life. By the way, I love what's happening with our church houses from down in Houston, Texas to uh, Barton Stormy Cox in Pleasant Hill, Missouri today launched an Abundant Life Church House in their home, guys. We love you. We are so excited for what God is doing. Group gathering right there in their home today to worship together. Uh, Pastor Kyle, who oversees Abundant Life Online, our Abundant Life uh, Online campus, told me he, he heard from a couple. They had gone to church here for years, left Kansas City about 10 years ago by the name of Josh and Anna Bolin, ended up in Atlanta, Georgia, called up Kyle this week, said, we left Kansas City years ago, but we never really left Abundant Life. Our heart is still there. They're launching an Abundant Life church house in their home this week or sometime soon, guys. Welcome back to Abundant Life. <laughs> So exciting to see this move of God. This is how we're going farther, faster, multiplying gatherings and new spaces and new places to reach new people. Do you understand that is the strategy Jesus gave us while we're waiting for the kingdom of heaven that is physical and one day it will come. He said, go you therefore, make disciples everywhere from the neighborhood to the nations. And that is how we advance the kingdom of God. So let me ask you, If you cannot get into the kingdom of heaven without first being in the kingdom of God, what I would be asking right now is how do I get into the kingdom of God? I mean, if I can't have a part of the kingdom of heaven without being a part of the kingdom of God, the thing I wanna know is how do I get in the kingdom of God? Number one question anyone can ask. And guess what, in John chapter three, a man came asking Jesus that very question. And here's what Jesus said. Listen very carefully. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now remember, you will never see the kingdom of heaven, physical, unless you're first in the kingdom of God, spiritual. 
and you can't get into the kingdom of God, Jesus said, unless you're born again. This is how important this is. Twice in the space of seven verses, Jesus said, you must be born again. John 3 and verse 3, marvel not, I say unto you, you must be born again. John 3 and verse 7, you can't get into the kingdom of God unless you have been born again. Thing I want to know now, Pastor Phil, what does it mean to be born again? I'm glad you're asking. That's what I want to know. If I can't get in the kingdom of God without being born again, and Jesus said twice, I need a new birth, a second birth. I want to know what that means and how do I get in to the kingdom of God? What does it mean to be born again? Church, listen carefully. There's only one kind of Christian, a born again Christian. I didn't say it, Jesus did. You say, well, Phil, I, listen, I, I'm a born and bred Catholic. Good for you, but that's not what I asked. Well, I'm a born and bred Baptist. That's fine, but that's not what Jesus said. Well, I'm a Lutheran, I'm a Pentecostal, I'm a Presbyterian. Do you understand whatever you call yourself denominationally or your church affiliation historically? There's only one kind of Christian. It is a born-again Christian. Have you been born again? That's all that matters in the end. That's the only thing that will matter. You know why you need to be born again? Because Jesus was teaching your first birth is not enough to get into his kingdom. Your first birth got you into the kingdom of men, the kingdom of this world, the kingdom of sin. You need a second birth to get into the kingdom of God. You see, when Adam sinned, we were all in him. That means we all died with him. Romans chapter five and verse 12, as by one man sin, that was Adam, death entered the world. So death passed on all men for all have sinned. God wanted Adam to establish his image in his offspring. But because Adam sinned, that image was distorted and that seed God gave Adam could no longer give his children and his posterity life. It could not only bring death which is why 1 Peter 1.23 says, you must be born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which lives and abides forever. You see, the physical seed wherein you were born can only give you physical life. It cannot give you spiritual life, eternal life. You must be born again of the seed of Genesis 3.15 that we celebrate every Christmas. The first Christmas promise was still in the garden right after Adam fell. God's plan has now been delayed, but it had not been denied. Here was the plan, Genesis 3.15. He looks at the serpent, he looks at the woman. He looks at the serpent, Satan says this, I'm gonna put enmity between your seed and her seed. And one day, there's a savior king gonna come it's gonna be of the seed of the woman. And yes, you're gonna bruise his heel, but guess what's gonna happen? He's gonna crush your head. And that's what happened 2,000 years ago. The seed of the woman came. Now, now our modern era has completely distorted this in this age of post-science. I, I know this is really debatable now, but, but it shouldn't be, because it's just scientific, it's just science, it's just fact. The woman does not carry the seed. The man carries the seed by which we were all born physically. So when God said to the woman, I'm gonna one day bring the seed from the woman, you know what he's prophesying? A virgin born savior. 
Yes, he'd be a man, but unlike any other man, God was going to bypass Adam's seed, thereby bypassing Adam's sin, so this man would be sinless, so that a sinless man could die as a sacrifice for the sins of all men and reverse the curse for all of humanity, every single one of us personally. And that's what Jesus did 2,000 years ago. He came offering a kingdom, both physical and spiritual. He was rejected by his people. The offer of the kingdom physically has been withdrawn temporarily, but today is the day of salvation to enter a kingdom spiritually by making Jesus king, Lord of your heart. And the moment, the moment you put your faith in him, the son of God, you're born again now as a child of God. So there hasn't been a moment in your life like that. Not talking about religion, church affiliation, not talking about baptism or going through the steps of confirmation. All that's fine. That's important. That's next. Those are the next steps. But there's a first step. It's a new birth. Has there been a moment in your life that you realized because of your sin you were separated from heaven and you called upon the name of Jesus to forgive you of your sin to give you new life. And if not, church, today can be the day. A new beginning, a new birth. You can enter into a new kingdom and forever know the joy of Jesus. And when you sing joy to the world, and we're about to, you'll hear what I hear. More importantly, you'll hear what God hears. And that song will take on a whole new meaning in your life. If you don't know today for sure where you stand with God, where you would be if you died. I want you to stop for a moment right now and look inwardly. Would you bow with me wherever you are in the world? Just stop what you're doing. Bow with me, close your eyes for a moment and look inwardly. Are you ready for eternity? If the kingdom of heaven were today, would you be there? Has there ever been a day in your life that you really, really meant business with God? No pretending. And you believed on Jesus for salvation. It's what he called the new birth, the new beginning. If there's any doubt right now in your mind, why don't you pray with me? God will hear your prayer right where you sit, right in this Lee Summit Auditorium, over at the other campuses in our city wherever you're watching online, pray this with me right now. Jesus, I know that I've sinned, that I cannot get to heaven apart from you, but today I invite you into my life. I want you to rule in my heart. Make me a part of the kingdom of God so that one day I will inherit the kingdom of heaven. Forgive me of my sin. Change me from within. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure and subscribe and share with a friend. We hope today's message inspired and challenged you. Let's go be living proof of a loving God to a watching world. For more information about Abundant Life, visit livingproof.co or follow us on social media at Abundant Life LS.